Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a resigned edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. I am resigned to the idea that this is a flawed football team. I know that we know that we've been talking about it or certainly talked around it, but I am officially resigned that this team might win a national title just as easily as it might rack up three losses. Uh, You tell me which is more probable, a strong finish to the season, followed by a playoff run requiring probably two wins over Georgia and, say, a vengeful Ohio State? Or is it more likely that this Alabama team makes it to the championship game, loses to Florida, and follows that up with an uninspired showing in a bowl game? If you have to bet a mortgage payment, which of those directions would you go? I think I'd go with the second as much as I would hate to see that. Like I said, if I had to bet, I'd take the under. So I'm resigned to temper my expectations while enjoying the ride. All right, offense, let's go. Offense, gack, right? Tigers come to town, cats come to town, and somehow it's the offense, it's the Alabama offense that gets the hairballs. I don't know how that works. On one hand, it's the Tide's worst offensive showing of the season, but, you know, maybe everyone has a bad day. I think that's probably what we would tell our bosses, right? Uh, On the other hand, we saw this coming, fix the right tackle, or this is a two-loss team. I think we said that after week two, after the Mercer game. We said if we can't fix our problems across the offensive line, specifically the right tackle position, this is a two-loss team. Well, that's exactly what what we're experiencing. That's exactly what we saw. We haven't dropped that second game yet, but we're seeing the continuation of the same issues, the same type of items that we saw much earlier in the season. We also saw it in in the context of, you know, how do you attack? It's a, it's a uh, you know, the Alabama offensive line is a point of weakness. How do you attack that? Well, LSU stacked and blitzed, much like Texas A&M did. A&M did it in spots. That allowed Alabama to score a few more points. Uh, LSU seemingly did it all night, and that really, really bottled up the Alabama offense for uh, for most of the night. But maybe – just maybe I have that that well of optimism that, uh, especially as it relates to Alabama football, that just 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 bubbles up and and maybe 
we actually did fix the right tackle. Maybe we did find the solution to the right tackle position. Darian Dalcourt went out with injury. We certainly don't root for that. But when he went out with injury as an ankle injury, it's probably a high ankle sprain. Uh, we'll find out uh, Monday in, in Saban's presser how long we think he's going to be out. Darian went to the locker room, came back out, walked back out, had a limp, uh, obviously didn't get back into the game. But when Darian went out at center, Chris Owens moved from right tackle uh, to center. Uh, uh, Chris Owens had subbed for Landon Dickerson last last season, late last season, so uh, he was our number two center. And when Chris Owens moved over, uh, Damian George took over at right tackle. And so one injury disrupted two positions, but we've talked about your, your, your number two, your backup at a given position might actually be playing another position. And so what that tells us is that Damian George is a better right tackle than whoever else is on the roster at center. So be it our third center, uh, that might be Seth uh, McLaughlin. Uh, at this point. But nonetheless, Damian George came in at right tackle. I thought he played well. I thought Chris Owens could have played better at center. And so, but my thought there is he probably hasn't practiced a whole lot at center. I mean, maybe he's practiced a little bit, some snaps and sort of the feel of the quarterback, but he hasn't practiced all season. Uh, He certainly hasn't practiced a full week with the game plan as the center. But I do think that that potentially when the coaches go back and look at the tape and they they evaluate, uh, they may realize, hey, We've got a solution at right tackle right here. Let's roll out Damian George the rest of the season at right tackle. And then let's figure out the relative health of Damian versus Chris Owens, maybe getting a week under him in practice at center. Uh, who nets out as the better center? I'll let them sort of have a grudge match for that. But I like what, what we can build on with Damian George. I did not see him really get abused at the position he certainly didn't have a some uh you know a drum solo we've been kidding about that so i think that uh hopefully hopefully that's a that's a a step backwards relative to the game against lsu but maybe it's a springboard that allows us to to jump forward again we've been talking about that right tackle position for so so long there was an interesting sort of twist in the game uh emil ecuor number 55 at the right guard position on one of the goal line plays, uh, he lost his helmet. It popped off, and when uh, Brian Robinson ran, you know, two yards into the end zone, Ekior had to had to go out. And so, I thought it was interesting that number seventy-five, Tommy Brown, came in at the right guard position as opposed to J.C. Latham. Late in games, when we've rotated, Tommy Brown has. I believe he's actually played the left tackle position. So, again, it's that whole sort of dynamic Rubik's Cube. Uh, When you're putting a hockey line in, then maybe your best backup at right guard is playing another position. And so I think uh, I think that's probably probably why we saw Tommy Brown, who's the next best lineman that can go in and just road grade someone in a goal line situation. Uh, It appeared to be that it was Tommy Brown instead of J.C. Latham. That's a telling thing just in terms of who are the next best linemen. We play the five. Dalcourt went out. Ekior had to had to come out. Damian George was in, so he's like I guess the sixth best best lineman. And then it looks like Tommy uh, Tommy Brown maybe is the seventh best lineman if we had to rack them up or stack them up or line them up based on what we're seeing from the team. So that's an interesting stat. It's an interesting thought process. Uh, you you may have thought you may have guessed. I would have guessed that Lathan would have uh, Lathan. Uh, J.C. Latham would have been in the top seven. Some people would say the Brockermeyer, one of the Brockermeyer kids, uh, uh, two five stars there. You think one of them uh, would would be up there, especially with the limited play that we're seeing. 
Turns out that's not the case. So that'll be something to, to see maybe this next weekend. Certainly as we get in the spring, like, wow, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and read every word that's written about uh, spring practice in terms of the offensive line, how that's shaken out. And uh, But that's a subject for another day. I just thought it was interesting. Ecuador went out. Someone had to come in, and it was Tommy Brown instead of, instead of Latham. All right. Uh, the most uh, most puzzling thing that I saw, uh, Alabama offense, was uh, the lack of Kendall Randolph, number 85. He's we, we all hear the announcers talk just breathlessly about it. We talk about it here on the podcast. Uh, number 85, he's a converted offensive lineman, playing tight end. I have a hard time with his name sometimes, uh, Kendall, but Kendall Randolph. We did see him play. He did play Saturday against LSU, but it was surprisingly little. We got pressure from LSU, it was really disrupting the line, and we would not bring in Kendall. When we brought in Damian George, we didn't start him uh, with Kendall uh, Randolph beside him. These are the things that you think that you would do. These are the things that we've done throughout the season. When Chris Rowan struggles at the right tackle position, we bring in tight ends and and the extra linemen, so to speak, to uh, to, to beef up that side. And we intentionally did not do that Saturday, and, and I thought maybe that was a miss there. I think there was an opportunity. If we can't block them up front with who we got, then we got to put someone else in there. And we've been doing that all season with Randolph, and so I don't understand. Um, I don't understand. Uh, again, we did see him in there. Uh, it was probably his lowest snap count of the season. I don't tabulate those things, and I don't hunt for them. Just my sense in watching it, and I typically try to watch what our formations are, and 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 it's hard to miss. Uh, when he's in there, he's a he's a big old guy, and and somehow he he's like Forrest Gump. He almost all he always seems to find the camera, whether it's in motion or where he's lining up. He always uh, you uh, I, I find that I can always spot uh, eighty five, and and um, and and I know that he was not in there for large portions of the game Saturday. I thought that was a a miscalculation from, and again, I know that gets into personnel grouping. Uh, but if you can't block them up front, you got to do something. And so I thought that was uh, I thought that was a miss, um, if you will, from uh, from the coaching staff and a, and the personnel that they uh, that they put into the game. No doubt the offensive line and the blocking and not having Randolph and and not accounting for the pressure from uh, from LSU certainly contributed to just an abysmal offensive showing. Look, I'll give the offense a bad day, but man, this this really was a bad day. Four of 13 on third down conversions, 308 yards. I remember when that used to be a good offensive showing, but uh, 308 yards uh, when we were used to being closer to 500. That's a significant drop, uh, 40%. Six rushing yards on 26 attempts. And, you know, sort of the knee-jerk reaction is, well, some of those were sacks. And so, you know, the actual rushing number was high. Yeah, it was, but, you know, they net out all the time, and so when you see the report that said Alabama rush for 260 yards, whatever it is, that's net of sacks. And so when it's a low shooting number, uh, it's net of sacks too. And let's look. Okay, maybe you take out the sacks, and so what? We rush for 40 yards. That's a low number. You can do multiples of six, and it's a low number. Also, 26 attempts. <laughs> 
a low number. So, you know, was it play call? Of course. Was it Bryce taking them out of a play? Yeah, that's there too. Uh, when they stack eight guys in the box, you're going to go for the go for the pass play. And then when you're just getting zero traction in moving forward, you're going to have to try to throw it over their head, and and that that uh, contributed as well. I thought Bryce overall had a pretty good day, twenty four for uh, twenty four for thirty seven, a sixty five percent completion percentage. So that that is nice. Uh, it's easy to look at and, and say, hey, there's a big disparity. Uh, between uh, passes and attempts, but 65% is nice. And again, he had a 302 yards passing, which is ironic, 302 out of 308 uh, total offense. Uh, 302 passing, again, we remember when that used to be like outstanding. That used to be aspirational. Like Alabama will never have a quarterback that consistently throw for 300 yards a game. Uh, and I think that may have been Bryce's low point uh, of this season. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting sort of point to uh, throw in as well. There were bright spots, so I want to be realistic. I'm, I am. There's things about the offense Saturday that were the frustrating. I'm hoping again optimism. I'm hoping that we can build on some of these things. But there were some bright spots that we want to uh, talk about, uh, specifically in in the person of of two players. I thought uh, Jamison Williams played very, very well. He had 10 catches for buck 60, one touchdown. Uh, he had a 58 yarder. Uh, we talked last week. In the Tennessee wrap-up, that <clears throat> it feels like we're going for the kill shot on offense. Why don't we just methodically beat up the team that's in front of us uh, instead of going for the kill shots? And we did that a lot against Tennessee when I thought there was more opportunities to run. Against LSU, interestingly enough, uh, even though they were depleted, they stacked the box, made it really, really hard to run. And so the kill shots that we went for ended up being really effective, especially, and I'm thinking the 58-yarder to Jamison Williams. That was Whew, such a ah, I can exhale, I can breathe when he scored that touchdown. We thought more were coming, uh, but nonetheless, that was a uh, that was a critical touchdown. And then John Mechie continues week after week after week after week to get better and better and better. He's coming into himself, I, I think, physically and from a health standpoint. And if this Alabama team can t- continue to win, even by these close games continue to win. I think they'll continue to get better by virtue of players like Mechie continuing to to develop into former versions of this himself. So he had nine catches, uh, 73 yards, and uh, and a touchdown as well. There were some individual plays that I wanted to uh, speak to. I don't think I'm pleased with any of these. Slade at the Wildcat, <laughs> I guess I have to say, I saw somewhere on a message board where they called that the honky cat. I mean, it's funny. It's probably inappropriate, but uh, I, I find that funny. But anyway, Slade at the at the Wildcat. I found that to be very predictable. When the huddle broke, watching it on TV, when the huddle broke and you saw Bryce sort of run down the screen towards, he's going to line up outside. I was like, oh, wait a second. That's, oh, what's going on? Bryce is out wide, so we're going to run a Wildcat. So, and, and so your immediate thought goes to that. And of course, they're going to run it the other way. They're going to run it you know, the short side of essentially the short side of the field. And so I found that to be very, very predictable, you know, sitting in my recliner, you know, watching a game uh, a couple hundred miles away. I saw that they were going to run that play. I'm certain that the LSU defense uh, anticipated that as well and anticipated they did. Uh, they, they snuffed out what was a uh, fourth down uh, attempt to retain possession. I don't like the play call and when it's when it's so predictable if you want to do that on a second and two, when you try, when you're running something fast, and you know that sounds good, all uh, you know that may work better. And I know Slade, his freshman season, had some success in those type of plays, and I think that's because there was a surprise factor. I think 
that Slade is not our most I, – I like him as a possession receiver. He's not the best that we've had uh, to do that, but I like him in that capacity. I don't know that I like him in the Slade cat type things that he did uh, as a freshman. He He's lacking of athleticism, I would say. And so if you wanted to do something like that, you know, I saw someone comment that, you know, use, use Milrow for that. No, you don't do that because – unless you have a full package and you've sort of built things around that, I think that would be a very, very predictable play. If you want to do something, you know, tricky where you're trying to catch them napping and you're not rotating a personnel in that, you know, allows them to sort of change the defense, then, then do it with Jojo Earl. You can run him in as a slot receiver. No one's going to pay any attention to that uh, outside of the ordinary because he plays that position. And then you come in the next play and you break the huddle and, and you don't have Bryce go all the way down near the sideline. You put him somewhere near the line of scrimmage, the direction that he's not running, almost line him up in the slot, the direction you're not running. So he's away from the play. So he doesn't get injured, but you don't take that extra two and three and four seconds that he's running out wide. Uh, you know, to set up the play because you give the defense the time. That's two seconds to like figure out, Hey, there's someone else back there. They're going to do something. Oh shit. They're going to run a wildcat. Don't give them the time to do that. And so put Earl up there and then run it fast. And we certainly did not run it that way Saturday. So I don't like it at all. And then I didn't like the way it was executed from a tempo standpoint. And I didn't like necessarily the way it was executed from, from a personnel group as well. So there's that. There's the naked boot with Bryce on Alabama's last uh, offensive possession. Uh, I mean, I get what we were trying to do there. Uh, we're trying to, you know, burn as many seconds off the clock. And we ran on first down and lost yards. We ran on second down and lost more yards. And so on third down, what are you going to do? You're going to run the ball because you want the clock to keep burning because we're going to put the ball away and we want them to have fewer seconds left to try to drive. Now, first of all, you hate the idea that you have to punt the ball. And so I wish it's almost like there was a, a resignation from the coaching staff. We're going to have to punt this ball. There's not a chance that we're going to get a first down. And so we're going to run it uh, three times and sort of see what we get out of it. So the naked boot by itself is not a bad, it's not a bad play. In, in fact, I, I, I'm getting on to it when Bryce ran it from a Wildcat or when uh, uh, Slade run it from, ran it from a Wildcat. There's, I like the naked boot. It just has to be set up. If you run the naked boot on first, then maybe you catch him off guard. If uh, I, I would have preferred to see, like, let's be aggressive on our side to get the first down. And so maybe a screen on second down, maybe a naked boot and then come out and run a screen or, or you know, some screen action or something and really aggressively go for the first down. I thought it was too methodical. We're going to run the ball, burn time, and then punt it away. It, that it ended up working. I just, if you if you went back and you really had time to sort of think about what you're trying to do here, you're trying to get the first down. You're trying not to lose the game as well. So I can see both sides of that. When he ran the naked boot again, I was not surprised. And so if I saw maybe I saw that coming on my TV. I'm not surprised that uh, uh, that the opponent saw it as well. Hey, this quarterback's been running more in this situation. Let's watch for him to run. And then, of course, we run right into uh, a tackle, loss of more yards. So, again, uh, I was not not pleased with that play call. Not very inventive there. Not mad at an individual coach, and I'm not veiling that. I would be – I think uh, think Bill O'Brien is – I do think he's a good coach. I do think he's brought a lot – 
we'd like to see more of it. But we see good offense every week, and 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 he has certainly had a hand in that. This is first year back in college with a young team, young quarterback. I think we're going to see versions of him. Remember, everyone ugh, fawned over Sark last year, but what was the thought? What was the thought of Sark going into last year? It wasn't what it was at the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, what it was at the end of the season. So all of these things we've got to take take in mind. We're going to like O'Brien better. Call it this point next year uh, would be my uh, would be my prediction. And I'll do a bottle bet on that uh, if someone's out there that wants to do that. Hit me up. All right, sort of the third play. Uh, this one I found more intriguing than uh, than dislike. And and this this will be like the uh, conspiracy theory, you know, grassy knoll. Uh, kind of play. Uh, and, and there's more about this play that we will never know than, uh, than, than what we do know. And so I'm talking about Bryce's uh, intentional grounding. My setup didn't give it away. Uh, Bryce's intentional grounding play. I, I thought it was, I, I th- we're seeing more intentional grounding it's called by officials, which I think is, uh, I think is interesting all by itself. I think that the uh, intention, the design of the intentional grounding is to provide almost an escape hatch for the quarterback to, to protect the quarterback. And so it, it costs you a little bit, but it protects the quarterback and it allows you to uh, protect the ball. Uh, and so as an, as an escape hatch in that regard, then I think it's a good call. And it's, there's, there's value to using uh, the intentional grounding. But for that call, if you overcall, or adjudicate the intentional grounding, what you end up doing is you, you make judgment calls where, where the official shouldn't make one. You know, the, I, I watched the game Saturday where the receiver cut inside instead of outside, and it looked like, where are you throwing the ball? Well, the receiver cut the wrong way. And so the ball and the receiver are going in opposite directions. So the separation between the ball and the receiver looks more egregious than it should. But it was a simple decision. Do you plant your foot and cut inside or do you plant your foot and, and cut outside? And and they're reading leverage on the defensive back. Do I have greater leverage inside? Are they playing outside technique? So I cut inside or are they playing inside technique? So I cut outside for the greatest separate. And you're making a split second decision. You're going to occasionally make a wrong decision. And two people reading the same player from different vantage points may read and interpret it wrong. And so I don't think that's an intentional grounding call as much as it is. Hey, we need to get on the same plays when we see the shading that tight, how are we going to play this? How are we going to call this? And so that's my deal on, on intentional grounding just in general. But on this play, Jamison Williams was lined up and not an eligible receiver. And so I don't know if it was the pressure or what it was that, that caused Bryce to, to throw to the throw to Jamison. Now a couple, there's a couple, and this is where this gets sort of gets conspiracy minded. What was the play? What was the design? Was Jamo being covered up an un uh, ineligible receiver? Was that by design or was that by misalignment? Well, I don't know. It's easier to say, why would you have Jamison Williams as an ineligible receiver on a given play? And why would Bryce throw to an ineligible receiver? Well, that's a good question. You can ask the question on the other side. If Jamison Williams thought that he was an eligible receiver, then why would he hold his hands back and intentionally not touch the ball? Well, that's interesting too. When I look at the facts as they're laid out, when I look at the evidence, so to speak, I think that I think it was a, a subtle trick play. 
And you say, well, why? <laughs> that sounds stupid. Why would you do that? And maybe it is. Or Jamison Williams is having a lights out day. He's a fast receiver. And if you make him an eligible, an ineligible receiver, wow, you really potentially put numbers on your side. Because think of a given play, you're going to have five eligible receivers and six if you want to count the quarterback. Let's not count the quarterback. You're going to have five eligible receivers that the defense has to account for. If Jamison Williams, who's super fast, very talented, having a significant uh, significant day, if you say, hey, we're going to double team him because he can kill us you know, over the top with his speed – and 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 so that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna cover him. We're gonna double cover. We're gonna bracket c- cover him. We're gonna have safety over the top. We're gonna make sure that he doesn't beat us. And then you flip back and you say we're gonna line up in a formation that makes him ineligible. So the defense is going. We're gonna trick the defense. They're gonna allocate not one but two defensive backs to covering in ineligible receivers. An ineligible receiver. Now we've got a numbers game in our favor. Because they've traded two for not even one. They've just given us two. Now we're going to find someone else that's eligible, that is an eligible receiver, and we're going to have we're going to create a, uh, matchups that way. That's a subtle, I want to say Belichickian sort of chess move. And and um, and so Bill O'Brien kind of you know kind of from that tree. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the intent there, and the fact that Jamison knew not to reach out and touch the ball. And have you ever seen J-Mo not reach out for a ball? Uh, the fact that he didn't reach out and try to catch a ball that he could have caught tells me that he knew that he was ineligible. And so then the question becomes, well, you know, then it must – then Bryce, what's Bryce doing? Well, Bryce maybe maybe had one of, his, one of his worst days and maybe feeling the pressure, he gets flustered, and maybe the nuance of that play in the heat of the moment when he's looking for an outlet and he sees a guy standing there wide open. That's the first time I've tried to sing on a podcast, I guess. But uh, why would he not not throw to him? And those dots just don't connect in, in the heat of that split second. And so that's my guess of what happened. Again, we may never know. We may hear someone ask Saban in in a presser this next week, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the conversation is there. It didn't work out. It's a it's a clever conceptual design. I'm not mad at it uh, from that regard. It just didn't work because we couldn't block them up front, right? And so everything circles back to blocking them up front, and Alabama struggled with that. All right, let's uh, uh, let's flip the field. But before we do, uh, let's give out our offensive mini game ball. I'm giving mine to uh, Roy Dell Williams. He had uh, two rushes for nine yards, which means he was productive against the LSU defense. I don't know why. Maybe we didn't attempt to run him some more. Maybe he was going to have a hotter hand against LSU than Brian Robinson. Maybe Roy Dell would have had more of a decoy factor. I don't know, but two carries, nine yards, uh, a small sample size, I'll I'll grant you. Uh, But he had one catch for 24, and it was the longest play on Alabama's longest drive. Uh, It wasn't the longest play of the day, but on Alabama's longest touchdown scoring drive, that catch 24 yards by Roydale was the longest play on that drive. And it did look like he got a turf monster uh, where it tripped him up and he didn't fall on his own, but he didn't, he didn't have a a planted foot so that he could uh, really launch himself uh, into and potentially through the defender. So 
he's he's fallen a couple times with with the ball, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I wish we could have seen more of Roy Dell. And I thought the three touches that he did have, what's that, thirty three yards and three touches, so very productive when he had an opportunity uh, to touch the pigskin. All right, let's do flip the field and let's talk uh, defense a little bit. Hey, look, I thought I thought overall it was a lights out uh, performance by the defense. It proved that the Alabama defense can win a ball game. Now let's think about that. Uh, we know that to be true historically. Uh, but when was the last time that we said, yeah, I feel confident. You went into the stadium, you turned on your TV, you sat down and said, I am confident that the Alabama defense can win the game today. If the offense sputters, if the offense struggles to put up points, that the defense can and will allow us to win this game. When's the last time you've said that? When's the last time that in this era where Alabama needed that to be true? We needed that to be true Saturday. And the defense overall, the defense overall put up some pretty impressive numbers. Uh, sure, allowed 14 points. Hey, in this era of, of uh, football, 14 is a low number, especially against a team that's averaging 30. And frankly, in this era, averaging 30 on offense is a low number. Uh, so allowing 14 Less than half of the season average uh, I thought was good. Defense allowed or held LSU to 5 of 18 on third down conversions. That number skews a little bit when you look at their success on fourth downs, but uh, we'll just look at the third down conversions. 5 of 18 is impressive. Two turnovers, almost three. Uh, there's a uh, uh, look like a, a potential tuck rule uh, that uh, uh, Phil Darian, uh, I would have given, the, given him the turnover. And in fact, as we were watching the game, he batted the ball and he went to get it. And I was like, oh, please get it because I want to see a 60-yard big man touchdown. And I wanted to see Phil, you know, lumbering down the field. And uh, when they went back and they were going to look at it, I quickly thought, oh, I'm glad that he didn't run that back because it would have been points taken off the board. But Phil's going to have to line up and run the next play. And if he had just done a 60-yard win sprint, then um, he wouldn't have been as good to go. But nonetheless, defense, uh, two turnovers. Uh, again, almost a third one. Definitely, uh, uh, definitely came very close there. Uh, held on, uh, I want to say goal line stand, but it was first and eight, or I'm sorry, it was first and goal from the eight. So you think of a goal line stand being right there in sort of the one, two, three. Uh, but if you're first and goal, then I guess that counts as a goal line stand as, as well. But nonetheless, uh, it was a first and goal uh, at the eight with a few minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And the defense really rose up and, uh, you know, they, they had four cracks at it and uh, defense kept them, kept them out of the end zone, uh, end zone. So that was really the defense winning the game right there. Uh, recorded five sacks overall, eight tackles for loss, seven pass deflections and eight quarterback hurries. And I would have bet you could have told me twice that number and I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, tactically, thinking from an LSU standpoint, I want to get this in uh, tactically when – LSU had uh, a fourth and goal at the seven. Uh, had they kicked a field goal there, uh, would have cut it to a three-point margin. And then later in the game, last second of the game, uh, they could have lined up for a field goal from the 30, would have been a 47-yarder. Uh, that pass sailed incomplete, clock, uh, clock expired. But if they were lining up for uh, a 47-yard field goal with – you know, almost no time left on the clock that would have sent it, uh, would have made a tie, would have sent it to overtime, 
you would think, you know, tactically that would have been a better outcome or better, better opportunity uh, for LSU. Uh, you could argue the flip side. And so I'm kind of bringing this point up to just, you know, call out both sides of it because you may read or hear or see, you know, the discussion that I just gave. Uh, but there is a counter to that. The counter to that is the play that allowed uh, LSU to get to the 30 so that it would have been a 47-yard kick. The play that that allowed that was an underneath play because all the Bama uh, defenders were playing deep. They were playing a prevent. They were playing uh, sort of a Hail Mary. They're playing the Hail Mary. And so nothing gets over top of us. You can have anything. You can have almost anything underneath. And so they went for the short pass, which I think was was a good thing. Move the ball up, and then you have a, you have a better shot uh, at the end zone. Well, had they only needed to get into field goal range, then the Alabama defense would have lined up differently. And so, you know, tactically, could it still have happened? Absolutely. Would it have been more difficult? Absolutely. But nonetheless, just a, an interesting sort of thought exercise there. Let's talk about some individual players. You know, we just want to introduce the Will Anderson dispatch. Uh, in dispatch, he did 12 tackles, one and a half sacks. Again, that's another number you could have told me it was twice that, and I wouldn't balk. Four tackles for loss, one pass deflection, two quarterback hurries. And even that, you run through all those numbers, and they're, they're every one of them is impressive. It feels to, it feels containing. It feels compressive. Uh, it feels to not, it feels like it doesn't fully represent the impact that Will Anderson had in the game. There was a lot of Herb Street that I didn't really care for on Saturday, but he made an interesting point when uh, it, it, there was a stage of the game, sort of live action, and Will Anderson made a play. Uh, I don't know if it ended a possession, but it was a it was a play, and and just he you know Herb Street said it just really got the the juice going. There was a lot of tentativeness in the in the stands, and then that play really sort of brought to life the fans and and maybe even the defense. And he just kind of speculated. He goes, I wonder if that's the play that's going to turn around this Alabama team. And uh, and then they went back to that. There was a uh, a stat quarter or two later where they referenced back how was the Alabama defense played since that play. And it was lights out uh, in terms of shutting down LSU, what they had done before that play versus what they had done uh, after that play. And I thought that's a real uh, – say what you want to about Herb Street, but he but he had a sense for that moment. And I thought, you know, that's a that's sort of a, almost a gutsy, maybe even almost a stupid thing to say. But you just get that feel, uh, which Herb Street did, uh, and he put it out there, and uh, he came came back uh, came back to rewrite. So um, I, I I thought that was pretty cool. I respect that. Uh, Henry Toa Toa, uh, nine tackles, uh, one quarterback hurry. Uh, he stripped the ball, which led to uh, one of the Alabama turnovers. And I think at least on once, more than maybe once, he helped with the alignment where <clears throat> we potentially had someone uncovered, and he helped point that out and, and clean that up. So Toa Toa does things that 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 we see that we like, and he sometimes does things that we see that we don't like, but he also does things that we don't see that we like, and I think that's what the coaches like uh, about him. So credit there where it's due. Dallas Turner, uh, wow, uh, he really has been playing well, playing well, getting a role, sort of getting his feet under him, getting more comfortable with that other opposite defensive uh, defensive end, outside linebacker spot, opposite uh, Will Anderson. And he's been really kind of growing into that. Uh, he was the top-ranked uh, high school uh, prep star at that position. And really just everything that he's been building and bottling and brewing just 
burst out uh, Saturday against uh, LSU. Uh, he had five tackles, two sacks, uh, and including one of the sacks uh, when there were 40 seconds left in the game. Uh, he sacked the quarterback. Worst thing that LSU could have done uh, or could have had uh, happen. But uh, Dallas Turner was just right there, made a tremendous play, and helped the defense seal. Uh, that, that's tangible. That's material. We, sometimes we talk about uh, material impact. That is a material impact that he had. Uh, there were 40 seconds left. That sack burned 19 of those seconds off, uh, so almost half of the remaining uh, volume of the game that really compresses the game in that moment where they're trying to trying to score a touchdown. So Dallas Turner had a tangible outcome on the game and certainly see him uh, watching him sort of grow and develop and, and burst uh, like he did Saturday was, was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, the corners, I want to talk about the corners a little bit. Kool-Aid McKinstry got his, I guess technically his first, uh, his second start. Uh, he started earlier in the season. It may have been, it was either Mercer or Southern Miss, uh, where we sat our first two guys. They had uh, uh, some injuries, and uh, McKinstry got a start. We got a second start Saturday against LSU, which that's sort of a big deal. And he started in place of Josh Job, who had a turf toe injury. And if we'll remember, I don't think it's a fresh injury. Uh, I think it's an injury that has uh, maybe plagued Josh a little bit. If we'll remember, uh, I think Josh missed some time last season uh, with a turf toe or played through it. I, I can't remember the details. And so it's an injury that seems to maybe have been bu- bubbled back up. And uh, so we were going to, uh, he didn't practice, Job uh, didn't practice last week. And so I think that, you know, sometimes you can take a week off and you're like, well, that's good. But if you can get two weeks or maybe three weeks, you can come back to more of a full uh, recovery. And so with the bye week, I think we're trying to, how, how do we get, you know, two, two and a half, three weeks of, of recovery for Job? I, I don't know that to be true, but uh, speculating there a little bit. And so uh, he didn't practice a, a lot or at all last week. And he was, you know, going to play in an emergency basis. Well, what do you know? Uh, Jalen Amore Davis goes down, and uh, that forces Joe back into action. And um, uh, and so I thought. Uh, so a couple of things I want to unpack there. When Jalen was injured, he had a he did have he played well uh, before he went out with injury. Uh, he had an interception on a uh, on a Christian Harris tip. Harris himself had a good day, six tackles, half a sack. Uh, but Jalen Amore uh, Davis, when he went out. So that that created some some rotation. Josh Job came back in, and what that did is give us what might be our best two pure corners uh, on the field, Josh Job and uh, Kool Aid McKinstry. So that was that was neat to see, and it sort of hmm, it gets me thinking a little bit. Jalen Amore Davis, I like the way he plays, and he's played very well at the corner position. He's been around uh, a little while, so I'll start to think: Does he know the safety position well enough? That he could he could help the defense maybe in, at the free safety position, maybe at the maybe in a dime uh, situation, and and again safety has not been firing on all cylinders for Alabama. We we really have been rotating uh, Hellams, Demarco Hellams, and uh, and Daniel Wright, and they're both sort of boom or bust players. And what if at least situationally? Uh, could someone like a, a Jalen Amar Davis come in and settle that position? You know, Robert Lester was never a superstar, but man, his senior year, did he settle down that, that free safety position? He really did. And so could someone like a Jalen Amar Davis settle down that position? Because now we've got two games footage 
on McKinstry at, at a cornerback position at two sort of opposite, opposite ends of, of the season, two sort of points of spectrum uh, on, on the season. And so we've got on tape how he's developed or maybe how he hasn't developed. And so maybe we study that. Maybe the coaches study that and they say, hey, McKinstry can play winning corner. And that gives us Jalen Amar Davis when he's back 100%. That gives us the option to do something different with him. Uh, so I would say watch for something there, much like we said, watch for something uh, at the offensive line. Uh, so watch out for that. Uh, Drew Sanders coming back from a hand injury. He did play, but sparingly. And of course, you know, you talk about running backs with a hot hand. You could say the same about outside linebackers or, or rush personnel. Uh, Dallas Turner very much seemed to have the hot hand. And so Drew Sanders playing himself back into uh, the position. I think is fine. We do sort of manufacture depth and I love depth and I love that term and I love that concept. And we talk about it a lot on the podcast, but we saw Drew Sanders play a little bit. Certainly we saw Dallas Turner blow up. Uh, LeBron Ray uh, rotated in at that position and uh, Chris Braswell is played as well. Uh, but we mainly see Braswell back up uh, Will Anderson. But uh, I think we've got a lot of depth and a lot of flexibility of things that we can, uh, we can do there. And Drew Sanders was playing so well and if Dallas Turner, if this is the type of performance we can get out of him, all of a sudden we've got some depth there. There had been some speculation that Christopher Allen, uh, who we lost uh, the first game of the season, that he might come back if there's an extended uh, an extended sort of end to the season. I don't know anything about that, so we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, but wouldn't that be something if he were able to come back and get some reps? And now we've got Dallas Turner performing back up to what he was doing, and Dallas Turner sort of blowing up. And then we've got LeBron Ray, who's consistently able to contribute snaps. I like what that does. And Chris Braswell, I like what that does in terms of uh, depth at those two. You know, the Jack is a hybrid linebacker defensive end position. We seem to you know play one on both sides. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, that gives us a lot of versatility there. So fun stuff to see there. Special teams, uh, GAC, right? Another hairball. Uh, we had a missed uh, PAT, a missed field goal. Uh, both I thought were bad snaps. Uh, just the placement was a little bit behind Tyson, and, and then he had to to reach back to grab it and spin it and set it up, and it just and just they they were misses. That's sort of a a, a fragile. It's like an orchid. It's a it's a fragile sort of exercise, and when it works, it's it's great, and when it's off just a little bit, that can really get into the head head the heads of the the snapper, the kicker, and the, and the holder there, and it seemed to it seemed to mess us, uh, mess up the Alabama squad twice. Again, uh, a PAT and uh, a field goal, uh, both bad snaps, and and so you think about, you know, that's a that's a that's a that's that's four points, and so think about you know when there's eight minutes left, and LSU gets a first and goal at the eight, or there's there's you know just under seven minutes left, and they've got a fourth and goal at the seven, and you know that whole sort of possession, pins and needles, pins and needles, because you know my thought was if they score here, I don't trust our offense to come back and match it. The defense really has to make a stand here, and we've not seen the defense do that. So really nervous there when it's a 20-14 to 14 game. They have the ball inside the inside the eight with a chance to take the lead. Wouldn't you really like to have those four points to make it 24-14 instead of 20-14? That, that 20 is just so naked, right? Because, it, you know, the Miss PAT, it should be 21-14. to 14. They could tie it up. That would suck. But, hey, that's all they can do. I guess the two-point conversion. But uh, that field goal, 
that certainly would have made a big difference there. So, um, again, not pleased with special teams. Uh, allowing the fake punt, uh, not a fan of that. I will say that's a great design. Uh, when he ran up, and I was like, oh, she's, and, and watching it almost was like in slow motion. Oh, no, he's jump passing. Uh, that ended up being a uh, – what they got the first down, and sort of the emphasis was on the first down, and they made the play. What uh, And I had to go back and actually look at the, the stat line. That was a 26-yard play. That wasn't just six yards to get, you know, fourth and two the first down. That was a 26-yard play. That's a material distance on the field. That actually set them up at the Alabama 26, so coincidentally, right? So they were on the 48. They run that play, so right at midfield. They run that play, and they get, you know, to the 26. There's a holding call on uh, Malachi Moore, who uh, there's a trend line. He's maybe had his worst game of the season. Uh, I think I like freshman Malachi more than I like sophomore Malachi. I would say that about myself in my own collegiate career. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, holding by Malachi, uh, two runs and a pass, and LSU's up by seven uh, late in the first quarter. And so we talk about, and Saban talks about this, those plays on fourth downs, those plays on third downs that allow a drive to extend. You give them free plays. Who was it earlier in the season? Was it Tennessee uh, who scored their longest touchdown right after? Didn't we rough the punter or something? And uh, possession that should have been over. Should have been done, and when they get that life uh, breathed breath, you know, breath back into the breathe back into them, uh, when they get the, that that sign of life returned, they score a touchdown, and that's exactly what LSU did here. Uh, they got the first down on the fake play, and got a touchdown, and it's like, damn it, that that sh- that shouldn't exist. It shouldn't exist, uh, but there it is. Great play design. Uh, I give them a lot of credit for that. Burn up and his punting. Um, I. I, I don't have a mission against him other than just I look at the stat line every week and I say, why are we doing this? Six points for uh, 39.7, so just under 40. Uh, he had a long of 47, which, you know, all that does is reduce the average on his other points. Uh, his uh, average on the other five was 38.2. Uh, and it's another it's another gap moment, um, uh, punting under pressure. Uh, and so fourth, you know, Alabama has a fourth and 15 on their own 35. This is right after uh, the two runs with Robinson and uh, the naked boot with Bryce. Uh, so we're 15 yards back on Alabama's own 36. Uh, there's 50 seconds left on the clock. This is a high pressure situation game on the line. It's a six point game. If they score a touchdown game over LSU wins, that's a pressure moment. And uh, with the punt, a five year, uh, a five yard return, um, it's, it's a 31 yarder. And so that is, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a, uh, it's a not, not a good performance in a, in a pressure situation. So I think I read somewhere someone was being funny and I think I, I, I've, I am aligned with this style of humor of all the Aussie, of all the Aussie punters that have permeated every level of football. Why do the, why do we get the one that can't kick? And I know that's ugly, and that's probably the rudest thing I've said about a player, but oh my gosh, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. So, anyways, we got to clean that stuff up. I don't know if it's rotating in another one of the punters. We got a kid from Troy that was averaging 45. I don't understand. Maybe he's just not consistent. I don't know. But, uh, uh, and then we still got the top Pyro, uh, the Piron kid that was booting it. And he, we've seen him shank it, but he certainly could boot it too. So, I don't have an answer there. Uh, if someone has a thought on that, I would love uh, to hear it. But it uh, seems like we could do better there. All right, so next up, you know what, from an Alabama uh, football perspective, we have a slump buster. 
up next, uh, one and eight, uh, New Mexico State. You know, pick your score. I think uh, I think Vegas has it at Alabama by fifty or something nuts like that. Uh, I don't I don't know that I I would go that high, uh, especially what we saw from the offense Saturday. But uh, it's 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 more of a get right game, and I know that's um, I know that's rat poison. You know, we say stuff like this, and I'm gonna say, I, I, and I say this as as advice to listeners, as, as advice to fans, um, player rotation. And how 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 do we line up? Who's still injured? Who's sitting out? How do we rotate players? Those are going to be some of the and then just how do the players look right? Because some of them are going to be the future uh, development for the youngsters. Those are the exact type of questions that will set Saban off. Someone will ask that question and set him off. Uh, it's it's the nature of it. As fans, we think that we should think that, but you don't want the you don't want the team you don't want that terminate uh, permeating the team. And I certainly uh, understand that. But, uh, you know, as far as rat poison goes, you know, we've seen this Alabama team choke on less uh, this season. And uh, so I'm not going to feel too out of uh, too out of sorts about that. So that's what I got for this week. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you listening. Appreciate your downloads. If you have any questions, reach out to us at Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. You can go to the website, uh, Alabama Football Podcast dot com. We have over 100 private shows. Uh, download, uh, downloads that are available. So if you want to uh, test drive the member program and of course the zoom calls are a heck of a lot of fun and we welcome everyone to, uh, uh, to join us there. It's not a hard sell. I mean, it's two bucks to give it a ride. So, you know, not really a hard sell there. It doesn't, doesn't move the needle one way or the other, but, uh, you know, to try it. Uh, but if you like it, then, uh, you know, Hey, we'd love to have you over there as well, but we do appreciate everyone listening, downloading this show. Uh, this is the backbone of what we do. It always will be the backbone of what we do. And uh, we certainly, certainly do appreciate it. So with that, yep, absolutely. You guessed it. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.